Need that one anyway. I have to tell you that uh, when the assignment came in The Young and the Reckless to do Mary, the Mother of Jesus, um, somehow the word reckless and so on just, I was afraid that lightning might strike and I didn't even have a Catholic background. I, uh, but this, of course, talks about young people, this series. Young people who are reckless for God, putting away their own inhibitions and so on, and just allowing God to use them for his glory. And uh, Pastor Allen had given me the opportunity, if I wanted, to switch any of the people that were assigned to me this summer. And I, I did think about it when it came to Mary. I thought maybe it would be good if I did John the Baptist. He always seemed like a reckless kind of character to me. Whenever you see him in pictures, John the Baptist always has sort of long hair and beard and, and eats bugs and lives in the desert and gets in the face of religious people and says, you vipers, and so on. You know, kind of the people you see hanging around Portage Place at any time of the evening. <laughs> but because it was a challenge, I thought perhaps I should do Mary. And it was such a blessing to me to, to do. You know, we, we always bring up Mary at the, at the Christmas time. And we Protestants are very afraid to talk too much about her because, uh, the Catholics, of course, many of them revere her and, and, um, the Blessed Virgin Mary is a title given to her and she can, she's almost deified. And so the story of Mary, as the as our Catholic friends tell it, is not very consistent with what I read in the scriptures. But we Protestants, on the other hand, then were so afraid to be too close to that that we back off and do not give Mary the place that she deserves and to just put her in, in the Christmas story in a passing way is really not right and not according to scripture where it talks about that she will be known as blessed throughout all the generations so just a little bit of background on Mary. Um, as we all know, she was engaged, betrothed is the word that's often used to Joseph. And uh, this is sort of like our engagements might be, but a little bit more binding. A person that was, people that were betrothed went through, it was actually a legal contract. And there was consideration for it, usually a monetary consideration. Uh, you might remember back in the Old Testament time when Abraham sent uh, his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And uh, when he went, he went with jewels and money and so on to uh, pay to, uh, it was Laban and, uh, and Rebekah was the bride-to-be. And uh, then we found out a little bit later that it, it doesn't always have to be money. That when Jacob went, you remember that he was running, Isaac's son, he was running from his brother Esau, and he ended up his uncle Laban's place. And uh, it's not always just a contract kind of thing where it's done by the parents. In, in Jacob's case, he saw Rachel and fell in love with her immediately, so much so that he, of course, didn't have jewels and everything to bring with him. That wasn't the point of his leaving but so much so that he agreed to work seven years. So sometimes there was service involved. If there wasn't money in the contract, there was service involved. 
And, uh, of course, Jacob ended up working a lot more than that uh, from his scheming uncle for his scheming uncle Laban. But uh, there was consideration. And so the betrothal uh, often was a year long, sometimes more, as you've heard, from seven years in that case, or 14. And so it was a legal contract, and they were considered just as though they were married, just like they were husband and wife, except, of course, they didn't, they didn't live together. Uh, they were not sexually active. The groom went home, and it was his responsibility to make a, a home for the two of them. And uh, he would go back to his father's home, and I was watching a video one time several years ago where it suggested that often... Uh, the son would go and, and then start building on to the father's house. And, uh, and then once the, once the betrothal period was finalized and the bride was ready and she probably had spent most of her time during this year or whatever the period was, uh, perhaps, of course, getting ready herself, perhaps uh, sewing her bridal garments and making things for the house that she was going to be living in. And... Uh, getting her attendants ready, all the things that are important even to brides today. I don't know how much sewing they do of their bridal gowns, but uh, for sure Mary would be involved in, in something like this. And uh, not sure what the day would be that the marriage would take place because it would all depend on how ready everything was. Um, Mary was very young. The brides-to-be and so on in these situations were usually uh, teenage girls, and one of the reasons I like that clip that was shown with Mary at the beginning, and you've seen it portrayed in the nativity, is because, uh, I don't know about you, but if you've seen enough Christmas cards with Mary and her halo and, and her robe and so on, it, often she doesn't look like a teenage girl. And so this was, I thought, very realistic how she's portrayed in the nativity, that she would be very young, and she would be waiting for this period when she could be uh, reunited with with Joseph. So it's really a love story, that first part that we're reading here. And uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to look, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. And so, uh, and starting down when we start will be around verse, I know I brought these up here for a reason, 26. So we've got this betrothal. And uh, just to go on a little bit further on that, um, once the day came for the marriage, the bride, of course, would be spending the day getting herself ready and uh, getting everything ready for the big wedding feast to be coming up. And then there would be uh, a huge procession from the groom's home, and uh, usually at night, I've read, usually at night because, of course, they were working during the day and so on, and we would find that um, the groom and his attendants and so on would start to make their way towards where the bride was. And they would uh, have torches because it would be at night and probably late because in the grooms uh, with his attendants and so on, it's almost a reversal because there was a lot of um, partying and so on with the groom and and reading of poetry and songs and so on. And then as the time came, the procession would start, and the whole neighborhood would be all excited. Um, the call would go out that the bridegroom is coming, and people would go to the tops of their flat-top roofs, 
And they would uh, be calling out, the, bri- the bridegroom's coming, and it would go from street to street as the procession made its way through with all the lights and so on. So it was a very colorful, and this is still much the situation in, in these traditions in the Far East today. And so Mary would be ready, and Joseph would come and take her uh, home to be his bride, and the marriage would be consummated. And that was the plan. But as we know that with God, not everything always goes the way we think that it should. That sometimes he's got plans that uh, don't quite work the way we should. What does it say? His plans are not our plans. His ways are not always our ways. And then Wright doesn't tell us how long they had been engaged or betrothed uh, before Mary has a heavenly visitor at her door. And it starts in talking in verse 26. And we're just going to go a little bit through these verses that um, God sent an angel, Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is only mentioned by names four times in Scripture. Uh, he's mentioned twice in the book of Daniel, chapters 8 and 9. And in there, he's giving a message to Daniel as an interpretation to some dreams that Daniel had uh, that proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, and uh, he came in angelic form, if I read it properly, because in Daniel 9, uh, Daniel records that the angel came, and uh, he came with swift flight. So you get that picture of the angel with wings and coming swiftly uh, in a visitation to Daniel. And the, the third time he's mentioned is in that same portion of Luke a little bit earlier, when the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah the priest, uh, who's married to one of Mary's relatives and uh, gives the announcement that uh, in their old age, and I was disturbed a little bit to find out that that was around 60, but uh, in their old age, they were going to be having a child and that this would be John the Baptist. And uh, so this relative of Mary's, Elizabeth, uh, was all excited, but Gabriel had come to give this information to Zechariah. And he, he tells him his name, I am, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And it kind of gives you this idea that, that Gabriel was one, not one that was just doing little messages here and there, doing little things that, that God's messengers had to do, but that Gabriel was one that stood in the presence of God always, and then when a, a very important And by the sound of it, things to do with the coming of the Messiah. When those announcements were to be made, it was Gabriel that was sent out. But he didn't come to Mary in the form of of, uh, an angel, as we would think about it. As a matter of fact, it was quite uneventful when he came. And it just says uh, that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man. And uh, named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her. That was all that was said. The angel went to her. It didn't come in swift flight. Uh, just came in probably as many times angels look, just like an ordinary person coming in. And the greeting was extremely different. Uh, he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, we've heard it said that the greeting was something like, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace. You don't read that there. Mary was not 
full of grace to the extent that she was then in a position to uh, give out grace to everybody who needed it, and that grace just kept being there. That was not it at all. We find that uh, the, the angel says, Greetings, you are highly favored. When I, when I gave some thought to that, I thought, imagine uh, having a message coming from God that could say to you, you are highly favored. And that would be a wonderful thing to hear. Uh, so many times angels came and, and they said to people, fear not. And many of the times it was because the people probably could have feared having a heavenly visitor. But Mary is given the greeting. And, you know, women in that time were not uh, considered to be anyone that someone special would come to and speak to, uh, certainly not to be greeted as though they were highly favored, uh, more like chattels in many cases. And so the fact that there was a greeting from the angel, uh, not only to this extent, but a greeting at all, that God would send to her uh, a messenger. And so we find that this messenger comes and says, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And then goes on to say what, what is going to happen. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So there's a, a message that's given here that uh, starts off with here, don't be afraid, because in Mary's situation, being betrothed, if she was found to have to be with child, and you'll remember that Joseph said that this child was not his, um, this legal contract was so binding that this would be considered adultery and could be under penalty of death. And so this could have been troubling her. This could have been a reaction that she would have had, but she simply asked, how, how is this going to be? Now, this is the first time and the only time in Scripture that we hear about a virgin birth throughout all the miracles that, that we read about in Scripture. Uh, we read that um, in, in Abraham and Sarah's case, there was the miracle of the baby being born, but that was a miracle, again, that they had uh, been in old age and they shouldn't have been able to have children at that time, and they did. And then again, now coming to Zechariah in the same way, uh, Hannah, who was barren, and God opened her womb and allowed her to conceive. And so there have been situations that have been miracles, but never a virgin birth. And so Mary says, how can this be, knowing that, that she was pure and had not had any sexual activity with Joseph or anybody else? And so the angel answers her and tells her that the Holy Spirit, how this is going to happen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And then he gives her a little bit of a sign, perhaps just to encourage her and says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And he and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Now, we learn a lot in this portion of Scripture about Mary's character. Um, first of all, we, we know that God said that she was highly favored. 
And if you read now through the portions that we're reading, we find out why God considered her to be highly favored. Certainly she was highly favored because she was chosen of God to carry the Son of God into this world in bodily form. And so she was favored for that. And, and But we find here her answer. So she just simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Mary is a, a story of faith, of great faith. Uh, and as we read on, we'll find out different characteristics. But here she's humble. Her, her humility comes. I'm the Lord's servant. She had a servant heart. Uh, she didn't understand everything that was going to go on, but nevertheless, she was submissive to God and was willing to say, nevertheless, let it be to me as you've said. And so not understanding all of how this was going to take place and what everything the angel said, how that was going to affect her life and so on, uh, she just simply said in great faith, let it be to me as you've said, and calls herself the Lord's servant. And if we want to find ourselves to be known as highly favored with God, we need to be people of faith, for without faith it's impossible to please God. And we want to be people who have servant hearts. Um, and Jesus certainly showed us that in his examples. He came to, to serve. And Mary indicates here she's, got, she's obedient, another characteristic. She's just willing to, to go ahead and willing to let God use her as a vehicle, a vessel through whom he would bless the world with his son. And uh, so then we find that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth because uh, you have to understand that, you know, she's probably got lots of questions and so on, and the angel went out of his way to tell her. Gabriel told her that uh, Elizabeth was in her sixth month, and that she was going to be having this child in her old age. And so uh, immediately, first thing Mary does is make arrangements to go and visit Elizabeth. And this was no small journey across town. This was probably a three- to five-day journey. Maybe she hooked up with some caravan or something, uh, because otherwise it would have been a, a kind of a treacherous journey with bandits. It was going to the hill country. And... Uh, you know, she was keeping these things in her heart. She hadn't shared them with anyone else. And so now that she knew about Elizabeth, she could go and share with her. And so we read that she goes to visit her relative in the hill country of Judah, in, in verse 39, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. That's Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So here we have another very godly woman who has her own... uh, feelings and her own things to look forward to, the birth of her son, who would be called John. And she, and as Mary comes in, this baby that's within her leaps. Now, many of you who have had children know at the point where you start feeling the kicking a little bit, and, and this is a very exciting thing, but you can imagine 
that when Mary walked in, there's something supernatural happening here. When Mary walked in, that baby, John, who was to be the forerunner of Christ, who was the one that was to go before him and, and point to him, this baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And uh, that was a confirmation That was of the Holy Spirit, and that was a confirmation that Elizabeth had without Mary even saying anything, that this child that she was obviously carrying was the Messiah, the one who was promised, the one who would come. And the other thing to Elizabeth's credit is that it doesn't record that she sat back and thought, now, wait a minute, I'm the older one here. Uh, I've been serving the Lord for all these years Uh, How come I'm not the one that's going to bring forth the Messiah? I just get the one who goes before him and points to him. But And here's Mary, just young teenager, and she's going to be the one that has this privilege. But to her credit, she has accepted what God has planned for her and acknowledges what is going to happen and rejoices with her, with Mary. And that's much to her credit that she recognized that there was young people, someone younger than her, through whom God could work in a mighty way. And, uh, and so she rejoices with her. And I'm sure that they have a couple of minutes to, to talk together. And, but Mary, at, at the result of this whole idea of, of Elizabeth's greeting and so on, Mary finally, she's been holding everything in and not talking to her. Finally, you know what it's like when you have somebody that you can talk to that shares something that you share. And Mary bursts into song. And this song that she has uh, is, is very eye-opening as to further the character of Mary, what she was like. And uh, we know that she was humble we know that she was holy. She, she was living a holy life. We, when she says to the angel, how can this be because I'm a virgin, um, it, it tells something more about her life, her moral life, that she was living a pure life. And, uh, and God can use people who live holy lives, who are humble or living humility, and have servant hearts and are obedient. But... Also in Mary's song that starts in verse 46, Mary starts out, and I can just imagine that this, she just can't hold this in anymore. My soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, we find here that what is happening, that, that as she bursts into praise and worship, it's with her whole being. This is not mere lip service that she's paying this is her soul and her spirit. Uh, her most innermost being, this worship comes from. And that's the only kind of worship that we should be knowing about. Not just our voice. I'm sure she had a sweet voice. It doesn't say anything about that. But because it was Mary, we can assume that she had probably the sweetest voice in the world. But that wasn't the important thing. What we learn from here is that it's possible to give lip service that people can come together and, and come together to worship and just sing, uh, use their voices to sing, but that's as far as it goes. But Mary worshipped God with her whole being. She used her voice. She used her, her, it was her spirit and her soul. Everything about her just burst out into worship of the Lord. And really, 
Um, this whole thing is about Jesus. It's not about Mary. And so she shows us that as she bursts into song and she, she talks about magnifying the Lord, just exalting him uh, for what has happened. She realizes that she's going to be the vessel through whom the Son of God, the promised Messiah, is going to come into the world. And uh, from now on, generations, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So she's in a, a, a state of worship here. She just can hardly believe the things that she's experienced and now is allowed to articulate it. And, and she just comes out and praises the Lord with her whole being and talks about generations will call her. When I read that, I thought, oh, that almost sounds a little prideful. Is that possible? And I know that it's not, so I had to dig a little bit deeper and find out. And, and of course, it, we, we get the words where we begin to say words in the King James, so we say, blessed art thou among women, and so on. But she was blessed. She was blessed because God had found her to be uh, favorable to send his son into the world. She was going to be the first Christian. She reads this and acknowledges who it is that she's going to be carrying, that Jesus uh, is going to come into the world, the Savior. And for, for hundreds of years before her, women had longed to be the one, had hoped to be the one, had prayed to be the one through whom the Messiah would come. Since Abraham's time, women had wanted. That's why they were so... Uh, devastated when they were barren because they had hoped that they could be the one through whom the Messiah would come. And so Mary, knowing that, knows that, that she's the most blessed of all, that the Son of God is going to be born, the Messiah, the longed-for one for all these years from Abraham's time that the promise was given, uh, that she was going to be the, the vehicle, the vessel through whom he would come to the world. And then as we go, we find another characteristic of Mary. As you read through uh, some of the verses to follow, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, He has lift, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now what has happened here is that we see that not only is Mary obedient, and she found favor because she was obedient and because she was humble, not only that, she was uh, had a servant heart and all of these things uh, were, were wonderful characteristics. She was full of faith, but also this particular portion of Scripture tells us that she knew the scriptures. Because if you go through these portions of these verses, you'll find that uh, they're peppered throughout the Psalms. And you can find these uh, thoughts and so on. So she was so used to hearing and reading the, the scriptures that it became a part of her. Uh, it just, as part of her, her song, she extols uh, all of these things that are characteristics of God. And so she knew the scripture. She knew the promises of God. She talks about Abraham and, and the descendants and so on. And, and this means that this, we see that this is why it was easier perhaps for her than anybody else to have accepted the message that God gave because she knew the promises. 
Maybe she began to think in her mind that, yes, Isaiah said that a virgin would conceive. And, and then the scriptures would talk about Abraham and the promises of the coming Messiah. And so she realizes what is, what, what is being entrusted to her. But it's being entrusted to her because of the kind of person that she is. She's a godly woman. And with all of these characteristics that God has found favorable in her, that he could trust her to be the one that brings the message into the world. What we need to really learn from here is that, number one, um, God has something for each one of us to do. And the main thing is that we, we have gifts and so on, and he wants to use those gifts. But the main thing that he wants is that just as Mary was receptive to the message of the angel, just as she uh, opened herself up to be saying, yes, let it be. And I think that, and this is speculation, I, admit, I didn't read that anywhere, but I believe that probably right at the time where she said, let it be unto me as you have said, that that was the point of conception, that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came upon her and, and overshadowed her. That's, that's always a sign of the presence of God. And that this baby that was going to be born was going to be the Savior. Uh, and she calls him that, her Lord, her Savior. Uh, she rejoices in God, her Savior. And what I would like you to understand today is that uh, there is really not much different in that what God wants today of you and of me is that we, first of all, would accept the message as Mary did, that, that the Son of God was coming, the Savior of the world, the one and the only one who was able to take away the sin of the world. And that having done so, of course, Mary carried, uh, by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, carried the physical body that Jesus was going to be in and he was going to be born, and he was going to walk around the, the Galilean shores and so on. He was going to talk to the people about the kingdom of God. He was going to show the very nature of God by the things that he did. And he was, he was just going to go around and bless people and talk about the kingdom. And this is why God is choosing us, for the same purpose, that through a work of the Holy Spirit, a mystery that... The Spirit of God comes to live in us. And that we now, in this time that we're living in, we become the vessel through whom God wants his message to get out to the world. When Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his followers, uh, you know, it's necessary that I go. Because if I don't go, you know, then everything's not going to happen according to God's plan. And I need to go so that you can do greater things. And we think, oh, man, how could we do greater things than Jesus did? But Jesus was limited by this body that Mary carried and, and raised up. And he went around and he could only speak to those that he came in contact with. And he would give the message of the kingdom to those that uh, were listening to him on the hillsides and so on. But he was limited by this body. And so he says, it's necessary that I go away because then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, of course, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and we become Jesus in this world. We become the one who brings the love of God to a needy world. We're the ones that carry the gospel message 
Uh, we become like Jesus in this world to the extent that we're his servants and we're going to show people, display by our love and by our words, the message that God wants to bring to this world. And so the very same things, and I, I wonder sometimes if we understand the great privilege that that is. And so that when we come together like this and that we, we come together and worship, that our worship is not just lip service, singing songs and choruses, and, but it's, it's something that comes from the very inward being, knowing uh, that Christ lives in us and that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and that is to go out and tell his message of salvation. When I spoke earlier about the betrothal period, uh, in this case a year, but sometimes longer than that, um, you remember Jesus often spoke in parables and stories that the people of his time could understand. And he would talk about sheep because there were shepherds. And they would understand his lessons. And they would, he would talk to them about uh, planting seed and, and seed on rocky places and seed on good ground and so on because uh, the people there understood that. They were farmers. They planted their crops and so on. He called people that were fishermen and said, I'll make you fishers of men because they understood uh, all about fishing. And so he spoke in the language that the people of the day understood. So you understand that when he talked, when we find out in here, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, where Jesus is going away and he's going to leave this job to the disciples, he says to them, without saying how long it would be, uh, he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms... If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know that this period between the cross and the time when Jesus is coming again, uh, this is what we know as the church age. Uh, The church not being made up of just walls like this where people gather, but the church universal, made up of everybody who has believed in Christ, accepted his message and his salvation, and is looking forward to the day when they're going to see him again. And so we, the the church is known in the scripture as the bride of Christ, made up of you and I, all those of you in here that have accepted Jesus as your Savior or trusting him. uh, We are called the bride of Christ. And so when Jesus says, you can understand now, about the betrothal part of it, that he uses the same language, I'm going away, just like the bridegroom would go away in a situation like like Mary's, that I'm going away. And why am I going away? I'm going to go prepare a place for you, because you're my bride. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again. And when I think of that uh, procession and the, when it comes time for the marriage, And I think of that procession where the call goes out that the bridegroom's coming. I want you to know that there's going to be a call go out someday. The scripture tells us that there's a day that we don't know what it is. We're to make ourselves ready. We're to be ready to meet him when he comes, this heavenly bridegroom of ours. And in the meantime, there's work to be done. There's preparation to be done. And the job that he's given us is to go and tell others 
about his great love. When I started by saying it was a love story, the love story wasn't about Mary and Joseph. That was part of it. But it was about God's great love for humanity that he sent his son into the world and that the world through him might be saved. And the love story is that he loves his bride, the church, and he's coming again to receive us to himself, that we can be with him forever. Right now he's preparing that place. And, uh, and we don't know the day or the hour when he's coming back. But we do know that he is because he said so. And he's, he, he would speak to his followers. They would understand that idea of him going away and preparing a place for them. And then coming again to receive him. And the question, of course, was always, you know, was, was the bride ready when he, when the call went out? The scripture says that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be the, the call of the archangel and the trump of God will sound and, and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take with him those who have made uh, him their savior, acknowledged him as their savior. And so the question today is, are you in that group? The group that is going to be looking and longing for the bridegroom to come. Are you busy right now preparing yourself to receive him? Are you going to be one that, uh, is going to be able to say, yes, I've, I've told people about you. I've worked, you know, for you. And it's a love story, a two-way love story. It's God's love for us and our love back in, in, uh, being faithful to him. We live in a day and age when many young people are very full of themselves. Uh, many adults are too, by the way. It's, it's, it's an atmosphere of the time that we live in that you're number one and, and you push yourself forward and you be this. And, and sometimes that even creeps into Christian circles and into churches where there's a desire to be the one that's seen and the one that's up front and the one that everybody notices. And that is not what we learned from Mary this morning. She found favor with God because she was humble. It's not a trait that many people think is a good trait these days. I know when I was taking a, a course on clinical pastoral education and I talked about having a simple faith, they were really upset with me. A lot of them had their PhDs and their uh, PhDs and their, you name it, they had it. And they couldn't understand how anybody would say that they had a simple faith. They thought I was putting myself down. I said, you don't understand. I didn't say I don't have a strong faith. I have a simple faith that what the Bible says, the Bible means. And they couldn't understand that because it seemed to be, you know, something that you wouldn't want. And so humility was really not something that you would characterize most of them. But Jesus is coming again, and there's a work for us to be done. And the question comes, first of all, like Mary, when you get the message, are you receptive to it? If there's anybody here this morning that this is all strange talk to you, Jesus being born in us, um, that his spirit lives within us only if we accept him as our savior. And, of course, if we don't think we're sinners, then we don't need a savior, do we? And the Bible talks about us all. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, 
the sin of us all. And so Jesus died for everybody here, without exception. He died to take the place and the punishment that our sins deserved. God is a God of justice. And as much as he is a God of love, uh, sin just can't enter in to his presence. And so in the old economy, you had lambs and goats and doves and so on all being sacrificed for the sins of the people. But God had a better plan, and the plan was that he would come himself in the form of his son, and he would die on a cross to pay the penalty. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the gospel message which came by way of Mary and which now comes by way of us and should be being proclaimed from pulpits all over this world is that Jesus came to save sinners. He came so that we can be absolutely assured without any question at all that if we were to face him tonight, that we would be in his presence and be able to rejoice in sins forgiven. And that's the gospel. And I put it out to you this morning because I don't take any, I don't assume that everybody here knows any more about what this is all about than just the nativity and the nice little picture of Mary Joseph and the baby in the stable with little animals around. It's a great story for children. But what does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. It has to do with the fact that it's a love story, the love of God coming into this world in the form of his son and wanting to take his place in your heart and to forgive you for everything you've ever done and and will do so that you now will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and can stand in the presence of God with full assurance. Mary's song is a full assurance because she knew the promises of God and she was trusting him. And I put it out to you today that, that God wants to, his son to live in you, to forgive you of his sin, of your sins. Mary magnified the Lord. Now God can't be greater than he is, but he can be greater than he is in you. Your life can reflect more of his love, can reflect more of his holiness can reflect more of his power, can reflect more of his likeness, so that as we give him opportunity to be great in our lives, the love of Christ is going to be taken to our neighbors and our family and our friends and, and those in Mexico and those in China and those in Africa and around the world. And it's a matter of humble obedience. But the message is for everyone. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus and you know that you're going to meet with him someday, I just want to remind you this morning that this is the time of preparation. This is the time to be working and getting ready for the time when he's going to come back. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And so take the gospel message this morning. Those of you who... who didn't know it before God loves you and he loved you so much he sent his son to die for you and all you have to do is like Mary is receive that message and make it your own and put your trust in him 
and know that you'll be set for eternity and that you can know that you are going to see him someday and that he is going to take you to be with himself where where he is we may be also for all eternity and that's that's good news and that's what the gospel is it's good news i'm going to ask the worship team to come and i've asked them if we could close in a song that sometimes is considered to be a christmas carol at least the choruses of it we're going to sing three verses three little choruses and i invite you to enter in in worship with all that you are, not just your lips, but just your being, uh, your spirit, your soul. So would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing a song that you'll be familiar with.